1: The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus in D.C. and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com.
2: This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello.
3: Oh, and welcome to the Ringer's Philly special. It's the Sixers podcast with Raheem Palmer. I'm Chris Ryan. Raheem, it is wonderful to see your face.
4: How you doing today? I'm good. I mean, we had a big win last night over the Cleveland Cavaliers, 118-112. Um, we really missed you in the last episode, but we just covered trade deadline stuff. Um, and it's going to be really interesting going forward. I mean, I like what I've seen from Jalen McDaniels. Um, so, I mean, how you been doing? I've been doing OK. Went
3: over to England, spread the gospel of Doc Rivers overseas, you know, told everybody about how Glenn, Glenn coaches. No, it was it was a good trip. I'm glad to be back. Uh, I watched the game last night. I have a quick question for you at the top, man. Is it, it this is this is like tell me if I'm right or wrong. I feel like it's becoming less and less common to get full on blowouts these days, like because of the preponderance and like that just people just can come back into games with threes. I remember, you know, like when the Warriors were cruising in 2017, whatever, and it would be like Steph would get to sit like every other fourth quarter because the Warriors would be up 28 and the other team would throw in the white flag. Uh, I wish that had happened last night with the Cavs. The Mm -hmm. Sixers were up 30 for like most of the game. They came out and blitzed the Cavs in the first quarter. Harden had 15 in the first half. It just looks like it's cruise control heading into the the All-Star break. It looks so good, you know, like... Harden just like conducting the orchestra and then in the fourth quarter the Cavs just kind of like you know granted uh, in a classic Doc move no Harden no Embiid on the floor in the beginning of the fourth quarter and the Cavs just come storming back Mm what do you think of of the sort of Cavs comeback but I was wondering whether or not have you noticed that we're not getting a lot of blowouts anymore where like starters can sit
4: um I think we get blowouts but I think we've reached a point where the game is like the game is never over. It's a 48-minute game. So, yeah. I mean, last night you saw it with the Indiana Pacers. The Indiana Pacers were down 25 points in the third quarter and come back and, you know, they were like two and a half point favorites and ended up covering that game and winning by four. So I just think the three point shot has just added a, a level of variance and swinginess to this to these games, to where it's just if you're not continuing to score at all times, then you know, you could you could blow that lead, and I think you know the corporate was really the third quarter um, because mm-hmm. I th- there was an eighteen to three run, eleven zero run in the third quarter from the Cavs, and. Once once you give a team hope like that, it, it just kind of, you know, they don't quit on the game. Like, because I think if the, the Sixers had left it at 25, 28 points at the end of the third, I think we're looking at a different game. But, you know, they went on that 11-0 run. It, it turned into an 18-3 run. And then in the, the fourth quarter, it was interesting because, you know, with 10 minutes to go, the Sixers were still up 22 points. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's what i'm saying i was just like
3: what's what going on i thought i was looking at the fourth. i was re-watching that game to be like wait did i like fall asleep or something and like yeah it's just they just barrages like you said in the third quarter they had their runs and then in the fourth it just seemed like that shake niang bench lineup couldn't couldn't keep the water out of the boat
4: yeah i mean it's it's i mean it's tough i mean like you know it's like Doc tried to bring in James Harden. I mean, once he saw that the run was starting in the, in the start of the fourth, but I mean, once the floodgates were open, they were open. And then the one thing I will say is that I just don't feel like the Sixers, and this is a constant theme. We get up to these big leads, and we don't necessarily have the same intensity going forward. No, um, we do not. We and do not. I mean, it's 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 troubling, but at the end of the day, it's just. I mean, I think it's 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 common in today's NBA. You just, you, it's it's tough to have that same um That and. It's tough to have that same intensity all the way through. Um, when you're up so yeah. much. Yeah, and maybe like the teams like I
3: mean, I know that Boston has blown people out. I know that there have been a, a lopsided scores. I'm not trying to say that this is a scientific study. It more seems like a Sixers problem, mm-hmm. where it, it it's like the nights where you're like, boy, it would be great to get and beat out of here with less than 30 minutes on the floor or something like that. Or wouldn't it be sick to play hard in just like 31 minutes tonight and get everybody a good night's rest? Mm-hmm. Is the nights that they just they need to bring those guys back in or that those guys need to turn it on at the end of the game. That being said, I I did not want to be a negative Nancy know, because You know oh one, thing wanna,
4: one thing I want one thing I want to say about that game is though. I mean, the first quarter, I mean, it's it's tough to as much as we say the Sixers didn't have the same intensity, the the Sixers shot other in that first quarter. Yeah. I mean, they were 7 of yeah. 8 from 3. Shot 87% from three. They were 13-23 from the field. That first half, it was just a, a, a dominant shooting performance. And, I mean, a big part of it was the fact that James Harden was playing out of his mind. Um, yeah. And I think it's I, I got to reemphasize how much of a tragedy it is that this guy's not going to make an All-Star team. Because it, when you look at the way he's playing, I mean like you said he's he's almost conducting an orchestra. I mean, like Tobias Harris is getting wide open threes. Um he like his pocket passes to the bigs. I mean, it's just he's playing tremendous right now. So, I think he got us off to that big lead, and he got us good shots, but I just think in the second half, a lot of those same shots didn't fall for us.
3: Kyle Newbeck, who writes about the Sixers for the Philly Voice, had a really good point in his post-game piece which essentially noted that the quality of the defender that Harden has been taking on is jumping up. You could look over this last twenty game stretch of the Sixers, where they are among the best teams in the league, pretty much in, the, in since the turn of the year. Uh, and mm-hmm. it's their fifteen and five in their last twenty, and there there are some real Mister Softies on the on the schedule that they've beaten. Yeah, but Harden has played against some really good defenders. Uh, and has made some really incredible physical, quick plays against some really good defenders to give any Sixers fans a lot of hope. Most of all, last night is I just thought he was awesome against Mobley. I thought oh. he was great. You know, Mobley obviously is going to be a little bit of a disadvantage staying in front of Harden. Mm-hmm. But if you were doubting James's first step and his ability to like take on an all NBA level defender, you saw it last night, man. He he really got after Mobley. And I just thought he played with such a great tempo last night. Like, that was the kind of thing where you're like, I am a James Harden fan. You know what I mean? Which has been a long, long, long process for me to get to that point.
4: I, I mean, like, there's not too much. I, I don't, I'm running out of superlatives and just positive things to say about James Harden. And One thing I will say is, um, you know, Sean Bernard, he writes for the Sixers, Um he, he broke down the difference between James Harden last year and this year. Um, and you saw his field goal percentage go up from 40% to 45%. You see his attempted field goals go up from 13 to 14 um, field goals a game. His three-point shooting percentage has gone up from 32% to 38%. Um, Like, everything has gone up. His win shares from 3.3 to 6.2. So, I mean, it, it really does you know speak to the fact that James Harden came into last year his hamstring still wasn't right he wasn't able to rehab and this summer he was able to get himself together he has a lot more burst you could see he has a lot more lift on his jump shot so i just think James Harden is going to be the key to our success this year because i agree as great as jo- Joel Embiid is James Harden is going to be the ball the one with the ball in his hands um and you can kind of take away Joel Embiid because he's a big man but you know, if James Harden is doing this, I think we have a real shot at, you know, making the NBA Finals. And one thing I want to say is that I, I think at times we could be we could be relying on James Harden a little bit more down the stretch. Like I, I know you saw, I think we might have spoken spoken on on that Celtics game, but it was like, oh, actually, you weren't here for that. But during the Celtics game, you saw James Harden bring them back into that game, and then they went right into a MB pipe isolation post up. So I just yeah. want to see more. And when it comes to the playoffs, I want to see Harden take it up another level, honestly.
3: The thing that I think is clarifying about watching this team is the differences between having one of your best players be a playmaker and one mm-hmm. of your best players be a post player. And that's obviously like yeah. that that's, it should be self-evident. But when you watch the impact Harden has on Melton, on Harris, on Maxi, mm-hmm. on these other guys, and... The way that he can start offense with like his hit ahead passing or his the way he can run a break, you know the the knock against Harden is that there's like one there's one gear he mm-hmm. stands at the top of the key with the ball in his hands spreads the floor tries to get a step on his defender and then either goes to the rim to get fouled and get points or finds a uh, open shooter, but I find that his game has a lot more nuance than that and watching him last night was a real good example of. I felt like he had the the Cavs like backpedaling all night. Whether it was in the half court or in, fo- or, in or in transition, like I just felt like he kind of saw the chessboard in a way that we haven't really had that many players on the Sixers be able to do. Honestly, in in my entire time watching the Sixers, the Sixers like I don't remember watching Mo Cheeks, mm-hmm. you know, Johnny Dawkins was fine, Drew Holiday was great, Eric Snow was great. It's been a a really long time since I since I can remember. I guess Ben Simmons did this sometimes, but really had like a pure playmaking mm-hmm. amazing passing point guard uh at running the team
4: I, I, I mean I think obviously the thing with Ben Simmons is that you know someone's playmaking is limited when they when you know they can't shoot yeah and the yeah. fact that Harden is it's it's just as good if not a better scorer than he is a playmaker it just makes it almost impossible to stop because is he going to go to that step back three is he going to blow past you um is he going to dish off to the big it's just I mean, the possibilities are just endless with heart. And his offensive bag is just, I mean, it's, it's one of the best I've ever seen.
2: This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com.
0: This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there, just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive, or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side-by-side. Side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect
3: somewhere in the Hotels.com app. So the Sixers are heading into the all-star break in third place in the East. They are sixth in offense and sixth in defense. Last time I looked, which was about this morning, I think. So they mm-hmm. have they have the credentials of a finals team. Yeah. Uh, you'd like to have a top ten offense, top ten defense going into the playoffs. Like if you go back historically, typically with you know, some of the LeBron teams, like the uh, switch flip teams, they'll mm-hmm. they'll have like really bad defenses, but really good offenses going into them. Then that they try that two thousand
4: one Lakers team was like probably yes. <laughs> like I, I think I actually went like back when I was at the action network, I actually went through all of the teams who made the NBA finals to discuss which teams um made the the finals without a top ten offense or, or top ten defense. And I think you it's the 01 Lakers. I think it's the. 94 rockets they they flipped the switch um and i think it's actually um the warriors The last year making the finals they didn't have a top 10 defense
3: oh interesting well i mean y- you can tell that uh harden is in like a le- another level of physical condition right now to yeah. me and is struggling and uh for as much as i like to him to get dapped up like it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world to me if he skipped all-star yeah uh, which he is actively talking about doing I don't know whether or not Embiid skipping All-Star turns into an invitation for Harden uh I imagine James has social plans lined up already but (laughs) but you know would you like to see Harden be the Embiid fill-in if Embiid decides to step away from All-Star
4: um I kind of get the sense that Embiid may just show up um and then play three minutes and then sit yeah yeah like I mean that's a game check at the end of the day (laughs) sure i mean unless there's like some like real strenuous rehab that he plans on doing and just you know kind of he says he's
3: going to consult with his doctors uh he said that he had hoped that he could manage it going into the all-star break but that he's now he feels like he needs to talk to his doctors it's just mb's gonna have injuries and he's gonna have to manage them i that that's sort of why i opened the podcast talking about what i did was because Mm. i would love to squeeze i would love to like to get those Embiid minutes down a little bit, and mm. and not have him used as a firefighter all the time when we're when we're blowing stuff.
4: Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely agree with that. I mean, I mean, a big part of that is, you know, our bench has to be better. Um, and I, I found it interesting that we've, I mean, we basically have removed Montrezl Harold from the bench from the rotation lately. Um, Let's
3: talk about him because I didn't get a chance to talk about Deadman with you. Um, mm-hmm. I was, uh, I was. I was listening to the rights to Ricky Sanchez, the, mm-hmm. the the Sixers podcast that we all know and love, and mm-hmm. they were talking a lot about um, Daryl Morey's predilection for buyout centers. <laughs> you know, like this idea that we don't really need a pure backup five that we've developed that we've brought through the the ranks during the season. That like there are guys on the buyout market to back up and beat. And I think that here's where here's what this boils down to is that in Daryl's opinion is if your season is coming down to your backup five, yeah, then the season isn't working out, right? So then mm-hmm. by that same token, why do you want to put all this emphasis on your backup five? I don't necessarily disagree with that. If, if Dwayne Dedman is mm-hmm. playing crunch minutes in a playoff series, we're probably not winning that play- playoff series. Mm-hmm. I think I would love it if we had a more holistic approach towards people like B-Ball Paul, where it's like that guy gets to play through mistakes And then he is ready for the end of the season. And we're getting hints that maybe that's happening. Uh, Obviously, Doc is now basically given Reed Harrell's minutes. And Reed and McDaniels together is kind of sick. Like the length that those guys have. Like I know that Jalen had a little bit of a tough night with Donovan Mitchell. But so while we're waiting for the Deadman thing to happen, like I, I does feel like we're also discovering a new wrinkle for this team. What do you what do you think about this what do you think about Deadman coming in, and what do you think about what you've seen from Jalen McDaniels so far?
4: Okay, so I was like, you know, one of the things I was, I was, in, I was interested in looking up is how that bench unit was, you know, looking with Jalen McDaniels. And you know, one thing I like about Jalen McDaniels is that he is a wing who has a lot of length. He can play some defense, mm-hmm. um, and he can go get a rebound and push the break himself. Um, And one of the things that we need on this Sixers team is somebody who can get us easy baskets. And if you have a wing who can, you know, push the break himself, you have a wing who can make cuts in the same way that, you know, Matisse Thibault could do, um, you don't have to run a play for him. Like, he's going to find a way to get some baskets. Now, the one issue that I do have with Jalen McDaniels right now is can he stay on the floor given his shooting ability. Like, I mean, he hasn't shot the ball well. Um, I think since he's been with the Sixers, he's been taking about one three a game. So I need to be able to see, like, I think, you know, Harden actually had a pass to him in the second quarter um, for a corner three, and he didn't make it. I need to see him make those threes. I think that's going to be, like, I like what I've seen from him this far, but his ability to make threes is going to determine how far he he goes into our playoff rotation. Right.
3: Yeah, I thought he looked okay last night. I think I I like... Um, mm. I really like the type of player that Daryl has brought in over the last, like, 10 months or so. And mm. the Melton, McDaniels, Archetype, you know, like, I think that that is building a team that looks best around Harden, ca- yeah. candidly. You know, and I think that... It, 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 instead of like trying to figure out like who exactly should be swirling around Embiid, but also working around Harden, I think that we've kind of gotten insurance on a lot of different players on this team now. So, yeah. you know, PJ had a great game last night. I thought PJ Tucker was awesome, but like mm. that's an example of like if PJ Tucker were to pick up a knock over the next couple of weeks, like I feel like mm. Jalen McDaniels could take up some of that slack. Um, so I'm feeling really good about the depth of this team right now. Like, I have to admit, it may not be coming out in, like, the podcasting, but, like, yeah. this is about as confident as I've felt about the Sixers. I, to be completely honest, this is as confident as I've felt about this team since Ben Simmons passed up that layup.
4: <laughs> uh, <laughs> what I, about you? like, think about it. This, I'm going to be honest with you. This is the most confident I've felt in the Sixers since the 2019 season. Um, When we played the the, Jimmy, the Jimmy team, yeah, the Jimmy Butler team. I think this is the best team that we've had. This is the best team I've seen since then, and probably the best Sixers team I've seen in my lifetime. I was born in '86. Um, I mean, obviously, we did go to the finals in two thousand one, but yeah, uh,
3: but that's like it's a different. And that team can mean more to us but it, whether it's like technically the best team is yeah I what you're saying
4: i think this is the best team i've the sixers team i've seen you know in my lifetime honestly um and that's pick. different than favorite too yeah that's much that's much different
3: <laughs> <laughs> what do you have a favorite sixers team that like a team that you like i was take talking a one th- out of it i was talking yeah. to
4: shill about this it's actually the doc the doug collins teams
3: Oh, the, the like, Holiday, Iguodala, Evan Turner yeah, team? Yeah,
4: I love those teams. Um, and I know people always look at me weird for saying this. No, I feel a
3: real personal attachment to those guys, too.
4: I have two personal attachments to them. So, for me, like, you watch, this, you watch the Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid teams, and you notice there's some nights that they just don't show up to the arena. It's like, we're supposed to win that game. We didn't, like... We got blown out. It felt like those Doug Collins teams with Andre Iguodala, Drew Holiday, Lou Williams coming off the bench, Spencer Hall's. It just felt like on any given night they could bring it to somebody. Like they had a couple of playoff series. Obviously, you know Derek Rose got hurt, but they ended up winning that playoff series and going to the second round. They took two games off the Celtics. Um, I think the following year they actually took a game off the the Big Three Heat. Yeah. I mean, we we know we're not going to win that series, but to, to take one of those games that means a lot to me as a fan. Um, and then, for me personally, I was a you know I was in the prime of my DJ career. I was DJing one of the biggest nightclubs in the city called Vault Ultra Lounge. And you know, Lou Williams. Where,
3: where where in the city was that?
4: This was on Spring Garden. Okay. Um, this was probably the biggest nightclub in the city at the time, biggest urban night. It was an urban nightlife spot, urban upscale, and we sold a lot of bottles. But Lou Williams would always come into the club. I mean, all the time, like Lou Williams, Andre Iguodala. Um, Iggy wasn't that much of a club dude, but, you know, he came into the club. And I got a chance to meet him. Actually, I saw Iggy last year when I went to game five of Grizzlies. Um, Warriors, Warriors. And I'm sitting right by the, the, um, the Warriors bench. And I think somebody was heckling Draymond. And I'm like, it was a bunch of kids. And I was like, yo, don't listen to them. I fuck with y'all. And, you know, Iggy, I'm like, yo, you my man's from Philly. And he came up and dabbed me. You know what I'm saying? Oh, so, nice. Yeah. So I don't know if he, he recognized me, but, you know, I was like, yeah, we, I've been rocking with you from Philly. And so, you know, we just had a, a handshake on the bench. because I'm sitting right there by the bench or whatever. So I felt like when the Sixers won, and even when the Eagles won, even though I'm not an Eagles fan, when the Sixers and the Eagles won, they would all come out. And I would like kind of do the after parties and stuff like that. So I felt more of an attachment to that team because I know if we won, it was a big celebration afterwards.
3: I don't want our producer Cliff to have a stroke. So I'm gonna say that Cliff in the chat to our conversation here was just like the only answer here is the O1 team LOL. Cliff, I understand. Like we're gonna say the O1 team goes into a special place in Philadelphia sports like lore. Like that I will never ever forget where I was when I saw the step over Tyron Lue. I remember the 10 the 10-0 run to start the season. I love that team more than like I could possibly imagine. Yeah. But
0: <laughs> Can I can I ask something here? How do you know, how do we also how do we also love so many losing teams as well, right? Like don't we love the the 93 Phillies? By the way, I was, I was born in 92, but everyone loves that team. Oh, the Wild like,
3: Thing team? Yeah. Yeah. yeah like, I mean, I was way love... more of a Chase and Jimmy guy, but yes. Yeah. That... Yeah.
0: But, but we love, like, some loser teams. Like, that 93 Phillies team might still be more revered than the 08
3: That team Phillies got kind of, like, I don't know if it was forgotten, but because of the manner with which they lost the World Series, it's just, yeah. like, I, I almost have, like, erased that team from my memory. Because, like, Joe Carter, like, Almost killed my childhood that night.
0: That's that's Kawhi esque, like you know, eighty bounces off, yeah, the, uh, off the rim. But Raheem, that is blasphemy that you don't you choose a Sixers team with Andre Iguodala and Drew Holiday <laughs> over the Kevin Mutombo, Allen Iverson, Aaron McKee, Larry Brown, Coach of the Year, Six Man of the Year, Defensive Player of the Year. Come on, I mean, man. That's the, the
4: thing is too. I was watch. I mean, I, I probably watched every single game. At that time. And Uh, then, then, like, you know, like, back then I was was in high school, I was watching basketball, but I don't know if I watched every single game the way I did, you know. And that's why I have a little bit more emotional attachment to the stuff that I'm seeing now, um, because I'm literally watching every game. And then also, you know, one of the things is that um, a lot of times you like the losing teams because you expect them to lose. So when they give you more than what you asked for. Like this, world, this, this Phillies World Series, this was one of the greatest runs of my life. I love this more than the 08 team. Because you had no expectations. You had no expectations. It just came out of nowhere. Like, I mean, like this Phillies team barely made the playoffs. Right. And then yeah. next like thing compared,
0: you know, compared to the 09 Phillies, yeah, compared to the 09 Phillies yeah. who went to the World Series, went back to the World Series and lost, but no, like you never hear a peep out of anyone talking about them who won the NL, you know, who won the NL pennant.
4: Yeah. It's yeah, it's the, it's the expectations, and when you have expect like expectations, it, it kind of just puts a damper on things when you know things go south. But even when you win, I don't. I mean, honestly, Phillies in 08 was was magical. I mean, because it was just like the time period too. Like for me, like the Phillies won the World Series on I think it was a Thursday. The following Tuesday, Obama became president. Yeah, so it was you a good see- time. <laughs> so you get to see the first black president and your yeah. first parade. This is the first parade I've ever seen. And, R-
3: R- and Ryan Howard and Jimmy Rollins win the World Series. Yeah, like and that
4: parade was for Halloween too. Yeah. So it's like imagine yeah. seeing that like all within a week. So it was it was a magical time period for me.
3: You're really um, right though about the expectations thing. I mean, there's also a, a degree to which it depends on your personal relationship to the team that it's not necessarily like, cause you, you know them, but like mm. I remember you know, one of my favorite Sixers teams is one that will remain pretty much a hypothetical, which is the feds team. It's the, mm. the Fulton bead, Dario and Ben and Covington. I forgot. They called
4: themselves feds.
3: <laughs> <laughs> That's why I didn't I work. Thought, <laughs> that might be it. That's why they traded. Not cause it should be Butler. But, um, the idea that we were going to have our own th- thunder, yeah, that we were going to have like a drafted mm-hmm. team that was going to c- get like grow together. I was like, this is incredible. You know what I mean? Like this is like having a college basketball team that stays four years or something. This is yeah. this is like having that attachment to, 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 to like kids and and the idea that like Embiid and Simmons were going to be like the um, uh, sort of end point of the process that this yeah. was actually going to have worked to have gotten all these picks and made all this room on the end. And, you know, like I, I would, would you, you would do the Jimmy Butler trade every day. You know, yeah. you, you have to make that trade. But in some ways, the Jimmy Butler trade, I think, changed the level of expectations, going back to what we're saying, for this franchise, where it's like if you're going to be a team mm-hmm. that's constantly like chopping and changing to find the guy to go with Embiid, People are going to have less of an attachment to the team because the team changes over every 15 months.
4: Yeah. And, you you know, for me, the Tobias trade was the one that hurt me. I didn't like that trade at the time.
3: What was that? Well, I can't remember who they traded for Tobias.
4: It was Shamit and somebody else. And I think it might have been a pick. Right. I was just kind of like, we're cashing in all our chips now. And we have to pay Tobias a hundred and eighty million or whatever we're paying him. Right. It was kind of like because we're paying
3: and because we're paying Tobias, we like had to trade out of the Mikael Bridges pick. Isn't that isn't that right?
4: Yeah. So it just it just kind of felt like you want to see the end of the process, but you don't want to see it ended like that. You right. kind of want to see it ended with, or right, we got our we got our true star?" And and I think Butler was that true star, but it was just like. I just I didn't think Tobias was the right move at the time.
3: Well, you know what? He's expensive, but he is a hell of a player. He I, is I just like I, I don't really know how many guys could do that role. He's yeah. gone from he can if 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 Harden and meter out, he could be the best player on the floor. If Maxi's cooking, he can be the fourth option. He mm. can lead the second brigade. He can be a spot up shooter who stands in the corner. He can get his mid range going you know i think he's an underrated defender i think he's competitive at least and i think that he's like a really key part of the success of the team this season so let's keep keep on this season
4: oh yeah without uh, a doubt I, and i don't want to take away from what tobias has done this year especially because i feel like he's overqualified for the role that he's in and yeah, he's and yeah. he's he's bought in um and that that's it. i mean you look at guys like jay crowder jay crowder didn't want to play basketball this year yeah and you know Crowder. I mean, you look at Tobias; he's overqualified for this role, and he decided, you know what, I'm still going to play basketball. He's and he's become a better spot up shooter since you know Harton is is taken over. So he's I, also I got, an awesome
3: Philadelphian. Like if you like when you're in the city, like you hear about like Tobias being out and about at certain events, and it's, it seems like he really cares about the community. So it's kind of a great guy to have on the team. Um, I wanted to ask you this one thing because I don't I don't know if you talked about this with Pina last week, but um, how did you feel about seeing? Five will turn into uh Reggie Miller the other
4: night. I knew it was gonna happen. Knew like it was just one of those things to where you just know it's going to happen. It was just like it was frustrating because to me it was just like you have a team where he's needed and you know they're 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 gonna let him make all the mistakes that he he needs to make. Um and then yeah. obviously playing next to Dame and playing next to a ton of shooting means he's going to get a ton of open shots but i just kind of wished it you know doc would have trusted him more i think you know like Jaden played like 18 minutes the other night um i don't remember last time i seen Thibault get 18 minutes
3: yeah i mean i i was watching um the uh the the that game that the the blazers game and all the blazers fans were like I didn't know if somebody could play defense like this. Like, they, they were having the Matisse experience that we had when he first started getting run yeah. after he got drafted, and he would make those, like, come off his guy, cover seven feet in a split second, and rip the ball out of a passing lane moves that were just, like, just so, like, so sharky. He's so good at that kind of stuff. Uh, anything else you wanted to hit on the Sixers before we head into the All-Star break? I mean, we're going in... Embiid may not go. Harden didn't get picked. Is Maxi in the? Is is Maxi participating in this in this
4: weekend? Um, I haven't. In fact, is he? Produc- let me let me look that up. I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> it seemed like he would be in a skills challenge, but I don't. I, I'm not. I'm not sure he is. I think he was in it last year.
3: So yeah, I mean, it's a, somewhat of an underrepresented group, considering the fact that they are probably, I would say, in the second tier of NBA teams right now, like yeah. in terms of like, I think that, that Milwaukee and Boston and Denver
4: are, it, are kind of separating themselves a little bit. Yeah. Um, I mean, this but, run that Milwaukee has just been on, it's just, I mean, they've been a terror lately. So yeah, <laughs> it, it's just Giannis is like, he's making a push for MVP, but I just, I wonder, I mean, it just, it, it almost just feels like people just got tired of giving Giannis his flowers. <laughs> I know, it's interesting that this is happening. They're on this eleven
3: eleven and oh run, and you know, obviously Middleton's back, but mm-hmm. it's coinciding with all this. Like, is it a foregone conclusion that Jokic wins MVP again? Yeah, stuff, and uh, you know, this, it's 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 been a really interesting couple of years here with the Giannis and Bead Jokic stuff because yeah. it, it's one of those d- arguments where I remember the wars between. Whether or not Westbrook should get it. It was Westbrook or Harden, I think, that year. Um, oh, my and, God. I
4: have strong opinions on this.
3: But the arguments about that, uh, I was a very pro-Westbrook guy.
4: Um, oh, but, my God. you weren't? You were pro-Westbrook? Yeah, I think that, like,
3: I don't want the MVP award to be something that is... If the MVP award is just like a a matter of analytics, like let's just call it that, and Mm -hmm. then let's stop debating it because analytics doesn't really need debate that much. Mm -hmm. Westbrook, to me, I thought was just like a really, it was a really cool story. Like I know that some people are like, Westbrook stayed in Oklahoma to get the bag or whatever, but I I thought it was pretty cool that like Mm -hmm. he tried to carry that team and like, I don't know. I think people forget like how inspirational watching Russell Westbrook play basketball was back in the day.
4: It was, you know, like, so I had two things. So for me, at the time, I actually had, before the season, I took Harden 17-1 to to win MVP.
3: Okay. Um, So that was one. So you have a personal investment
4: in this. So I had a personal investment in it. But when you look historically, the MVP has always been about winning. Always. And for whatever reason, because Russell Westbrook averaged this triple-double, which is basically an arbitrary set of numbers, He gets the MVP from a seed that we've... Like, you look at throughout the entire history of the MVP award. Michael Jordan, Russell Westbrook... I think it's Michael Jordan in 1988, Russell Westbrook, and Jokic. They're the only teams that... They're the only players who get the MVP award from less than a second seed. Hmm. So, to me, I felt like they changed... They just completely just threw out any precedent. I see. And, And that bothered me. To, I'm gonna be honest with you. I felt like Kawhi Leonard should have won the MVP that year.
3: Exactly. Oh Hoa, right, that was who it was. was it? Harden or Leonard? Yeah, it, it was. was big, it was. There's, there's three. Yeah. It was. Th-
4: those was three. But Russell and Harden went first and second because they kind of had those video game numbers. So it's like Harden was pretty much. I think Harden was like 30 points. You know, 10 assists and eight rebounds or something. Seven rebounds. And my biggest problem with. You know, those two MVP candidates is that you saw that their numbers were inflated because their teams were basically saying, Look, we have a center. We know he can get a rebound, but we're going to let him box out so Russell Westbrook and James Harden can get the rebound and push the break. So they weren't, I'm not going to say that, you know, they don't deserve the benefits of getting triple doubles and everything. There was like some that. stat padding
3: going on, though. Yeah, so There's, I just, there was some manipulation going
4: on. So I just, I just didn't like that. And I just felt like, Kawhi to me was at the peak of his defensive powers. The Spurs were, you know, I think they were second seed in the West. Um, I think the, 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 they might've, they bit, they, yeah, I think they might've been second seed in the West behind the Warriors. Okay. Um, And then the, the the Rockets were like the third seed. And I just felt like he had the best year. And I felt like people were ignoring him because he didn't have those video game like numbers.
3: I, uh, so both the Jokic, the previous two Jokic MVPs, the, were the Nuggets in second place or higher? No. Okay. Okay. So
4: and that's then, good. And then that's my thing. It's like you see it now. Now everybody's saying, oh, Jokic is winning.
3: Because he's the best player on the best team.
4: Or one yeah, of the best teams. But yeah. then last year, oh, yeah, winning doesn't matter. It's what Jokic does. So it's like I think the awards voters are getting smarter, which is great. You're not, but it's just like you can't move the goal. It's like you're moving the goalposts. So it's just like you see, like, to me, James Harden is leading a winning team and then gets didn't get to the All-Star game. So it's like it almost feels like a lot of voters, based on who they like, winning matters. Right. And I, I don't like that.
3: Uh, well, we can wrap it up there as mm-hmm. we head into the All-Star break. We'll be, we'll be off next week uh, okay. from the Philly special, but we'll be back the week after as we head into these last 20 or so games of the season. I wanted to ask you, Reem, after you know, coming out of the trade deadline and stuff like that and seeing who the Sixers have been playing. We have a little bit of a tougher season, mm-hmm. you know, tougher last batch of games. Um, is there anybody beneath the Sixers right now that you're particularly scared of? Because I, I I we didn't really talk about the Cavs as competition and the Cavs as like, sort of a long term threat this season. And uh, you know, they're gonna buy out Kevin Love. They're nine and three since Love left the rotation. So it mm-hmm. seems like that they have the team that they want. Um I, I I I remain very impressed with that Cavs team. I think even the fact that they kept fighting last night was a kind of impressive. Mm-hmm. But is there like wh- wh- who are you worried about beneath us? Is it Cavs? Is it Miami? Is it
4: Um it's not Miami at this point. I um to me I think Miami they just they just don't have enough. Um I just don't think they have enough scoring. Um and I think this year Sixers team would, would beat them for it too. Um, the Cavs, I'm not really scared of. As you saw last night, it's, it's interesting because, you know, you, on the surface, I think a lot of people would say, oh yeah, they have Jared Allen, they have <laughs> Evan Mobley, they should have the pieces to stop Embiid, but they don't. Embiid dominates well, it
3: these. And it didn't matter because like what they didn't have is the pieces to stop Harden.
4: Yeah. So I just think this, that, that's a bad matchup for the Cavs. Like the Cavs, the Cavs would be better off playing the Celtics. Like I would love for the Cavs to play the uh, Celtics. Knock the Celtics out for us. (laughs) Like, I I think that's our best chance. Like, we need somebody else to knock out the Celtics. Because I think against everybody else, we're, I mean, like, I think against the Bucs, I think we have a a legit shot against the Bucs. I just don't trust us against the Celtics. I think that's the only team that I just don't feel like we can beat.
3: I agree with you, man. Uh, We'll wrap Mm -hmm. it up there. Producer Cliff Augustine on the decks today, as Mm -hmm. always, and also chiming in with uh, defenses of of the 2001 Sixers. Uh, We'll be back in two weeks. Everybody have a good all-star break. Raheem, great to see you, man. Great
4: to see you too, man. You have a good one.